back to the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. That's where we began looking at that, uh, at that book last time I was here a month or so ago. And if I've got it written down right, we, we ended in verse 5. Since it has been a while, let's, let's do a quick recap through what we have already looked at. What chapter? Chapter 1. Chapter 1 and verse 1 gives us the title of this book. Uh, as, we, as we examined previously, the Greek term behind revelation is apocalypsis. It's where we get our term apocalypse. It is not, men have taken the term apocalypse to mean the end of the world. That is not what apocalypse actually means. It means, as it is translated here, revelation or an unveiling, a revealing of Jesus Christ, as we're given here, the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ, the unveiling, the revealing of who he is and what he does. It is not simply, the book of the Revelation is not a book entirely devoted to the end of the world. It does reveal that to us, but its focus is right here in the first part of the first verse. This is the point of the book, the revelation of Jesus Christ, who he is in his glory, who he is and what he does, what he accomplishes. The end of the world is included in that. The eternal age is discussed, but it is, it is not the main, the main point. The main point is to unveil Jesus Christ. And that, is, uh, that will be a theme that, we will, that you will see throughout this entire book, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth. We noted all three present tense uh, all, all three present tense words here. Blessed is he that readeth, present tense, reads and keeps on reading. And they that hear and keep on hearing the words of this prophecy and keep and keep on keeping, that is doing those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. The time was at hand when this was written in AD 90 or 95, as we, we may get to the verse today that John says he's in Patmos, which is while he was in exile. He was in, on, a, on a rock island. There was a prison. He was in prison for the testimony of Jesus Christ. That, is, that was why he was there. And we have the historical record that tells us that that happens in, in the A.D. 90s. So this, this is not written previous to the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, as some, some theologians have, uh, have stated there's no, no evidence for that being the case. So, but we continue. Blessed is he that reads, hears, and keeps, or does, the things that are written therein. Those, are all, those were applicable when this was written, and they're applicable to us today. Reads and keeps on reading, hears and keeps on hearing, does and keeps on doing the things that are written therein. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ. I noted, uh, we noted last, uh, last time as we were going through, though these two verses, four and five, are tied together. Uh, 
There, we understand that in the original uh, manuscripts, when this was originally written down, there was no chapter and verse. Chapter and verse were added later uh, for our benefit, for our reference, so that I can say, uh, let's go to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, and you know where I'm talking about. Otherwise, I would have to say, go to the book of the Revelation where it says kind of towards the beginning and from Jesus Christ. It would be somewhat difficult. It was, uh, if I remember correctly, it was actually John Calvin's uh, uh, editor, publisher. Somebody that worked for John Calvin that actually put all the verses into the scriptures. And that, it is that person who, his work that was then used from there forward as far as the versification of the scriptures. Chapters came long before that, but the versification came from him, which is uh, for, that, for one man to go through the whole Bible and say this is a different, uh, a different thought. That would be quite the study, quite the study. Um, but anyway, I, dig I digress. Verse 4 and verse 5, I, I mentioned that there were two understandings that can be given in this text, and I only gave one, and I apologize for that. I should have given the second. The, the first, the one that we did discuss, is the first word in verse 5, and, is the Greek term chi, which is also rendered even. It, is, uh, there's, it could be rendered both ways, and I believe God intended for it to be uh, understood in both ways. The King James translators didn't get it wrong. They gave us what the word, what the word means. In, in translation, there has to be some interpretation. But chi has two meanings, and and even, or we would say that is, instead of even. That is from Jesus Christ. The one who which is, which was, and which is to come, and the seven spirits which are before his throne, that is Jesus Christ. This is all in, in one way speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one which is, which was, and which is to come. You see in verse 8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. But it says it is before his throne. It is speaking of the Father. The Father, so you see throughout the book of the Revelation, the Father is seated on the throne. Christ seated at his right hand, at the right hand of, of the majesty on high, as you see elsewhere, uh, elsewhere described. So the, the Father is also described as the one which is, which was, and which is to come. He, he is to come. The Father will come down from heaven. In the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, the Father will come down and dwell. We will dwell with him. He will, he will come down to the new heavens and the new earth. We'll see that at the end of the book. But that is also described here and the Holy Spirit. The seven spirits which are before his throne. The seven, and we discussed this is more of a sevenfold spirit. It is still one Holy Spirit. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11, we, we noted uh, a month or so ago. This, this describes the, seven, the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 11 and verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. 
7, the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord. This, this is what's, what's being described as the, the Holy Spirit before his throne, before the Father's throne, and from Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus Christ is the Word of God. Revelation chapter 19, John chapter 1, the, uh, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We know 1 John 5, 7 tells us that there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. This is speaking all of the God-man, Jesus Christ, which is, which was, which is to come, who is the, the, uh, the, the man in which the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. We're told in the epistle to the Colossians. He is the God-man. He is the one who the Spirit of God indwells. He is, he, he, is the, he is the Word of God, and He is the one which is, which was, and which is to come. This is all of Jesus Christ and of the individual members of the Godhead, the Father, the Holy Ghost, and the Word of God. So that, that was the two understandings that, that, that I mentioned. Uh, I apologize, I did not uh, uh, get to the second understanding last time I was here. And from Jesus Christ, and then we get a wonderful description of our Lord, who is the faithful witness. He is a witness full of faith. He, he did everything that his father asked him to do. He followed his father's will in everything. He even said, I did not come to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. He came to do his father's will, and he accomplished everything that his father set for him to accomplish. And the first begotten of the dead. And we, we noted last time that there were others that were raised from the dead previous to the Lord Jesus. And that, that's a true statement. There, were, uh, uh, there was the, uh, the widow from Zarephath's son that Elijah, uh, that the Lord brought back from the dead when, when Elijah laid himself across him and, and prayed to God. Jesus himself raised Lazarus from the dead when he had been dead for four days. And he was, he was very dead. Uh, there, was, there was no life in him. He stunk, as his sister pointed out, or stinketh. Now, uh, I'm, I'm sure she said it exactly like that. But Lord, he stinketh. It is uh, he that the Lord brought back from the dead. And if the Lord had not said, Lazarus, come forth. The Lord has power. He is the one that will raise the dead. If he had not said Lazarus, he would have raised the dead at that point. He would, all the dead would have come forth. But Jesus is the first to be raised immortal. For his mortal to have put on immortality. For his corruptible. I, this, is a, this is a different point, but the Lord Jesus did not see corruption. Psalm 16 says that the Father would not allow His Holy One to see corruption. His body didn't decay, but He had a mortal body. His mortal body put on immortality. This body that grew tired, got hungry, thirsty, uh, that suffered uh, uh, fatigue, corruptible, put on incorruption. He is the first one to be raised from the dead immortal. Everybody else that came back from the dead, they died. 
Not a single one of them is living today. They were raised mortal, put back into their mortal body. The Lord Jesus was not put back into his mortal body. He was given the glory that he had with the Father before the world was, John 17. He was raised incorruptible. He is the first begotten of the resurrection. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the first fruits of the resurrection, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. Now here's, I have heard Christians say that they appreciate Jesus for not being political. That they see Jesus as a completely separate, uh, as, as a spiritual uh, uh, ruler of the spiritual. And then there's the physical, which is separate. That is not true. That is not true. They, they may misunderstand. I'm, I'm not sure how they understand King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Maybe in a spiritual, I don't, I don't understand. That doesn't make Jesus, saying Jesus is Lord is a political statement. Because the statement in, in this day was Caesar is Lord. But the, but the disciples and the apostles could not and would not say that. Because Caesar isn't Lord. Jesus is. Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Here we're told he is, he's not prince of the kings of the earth. He's not under the king. This word is elsewhere rendered ruler, magistrate, chief ruler, uh, prince, and I believe also chief. He is the one above the kings of the earth. He is the ruler, the chief ruler of the kings of the earth. You may see in my marginal reading, that's what I have, ruler. And it's because that's how that word is used. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. The prince, the one, over, the one, the one in charge of them. Nebuchadnezzar understood, after he learned his lesson, who it is that gives kingdoms to men. Let's, let's notice that. I, I, I'm reading in, in my uh, own personal reading through the book of Daniel. One thing I noted in, at the beginning of chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar, we'll, we'll get the end of chapter 3 so that we can understand a statement that is made later in chapter 4. Chapter 3, verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and uh, it's commonly referred, uh, commonly said uh, Abednego, but it's Abednego. It's, uh, the, the actual pronunciation is a little bit different than, than how we commonly pronounce it. Who hath, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him. Now remember that angel, Nebuchadnezzar says, looks like the Son of God. Who sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's words and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Remember, no, no chapter and verse 
in, in, the, uh, original, in the original text. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. He then goes on to, to give what uh, a dream that he had. But you see what Nebuchadnezzar wrote there before he gets sent out into the field. He, he makes quite the statement there for what we're told is a pagan king. I think at this point, he was no longer, I don't think he was a pagan at that point any longer. He may have been a Gentile, but I don't think he was a pagan at that point. That's why he says at the end of chapter 4, remember, he, he has a great building up of pride at, at, towards the end of, of, of chapter 4. At the end of 12 months, chapter, verse 29 of chapter 4, at the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Look at what I have done. Look at what I've done for myself. But he, he already said that God is the one whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his, his, his reign is from generation to generation. Building up of pride. Pride cometh before a fall, we're told. And that's exactly what we know happened. He was driven out into the field. He was driven out into the field until seven times would pass over him. While the word was in the king's mouth, verse 31, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. They shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. He gave it to King Nebuchadnezzar. Because he was pleased to do so. The same hour was the thing fulfilled to Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men, did eat grass as oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Seven years, never a haircut, never a clipping of the fingernails, never a shower. He was a beast. He was a beast of the field. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven and mine understanding returned unto me. Because he already understood, he already knew this, but pride, his pride was built up. His understanding returned. It came back. That means he already had it. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him that lived forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, his kingdom is from generation to generation. And then he goes on to say that he is, in those that walk in pride, verse 37, those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. King Nebuchadnezzar learned, the le learned his lesson the hard way. That the Lord God gives the kingdom to whomsoever he will. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. Our Lord God is not separate from the earthly realm. He is not separate from politics. He is the king of politics. He is the king of the earthly realm. He is the Lord of all the lords. The master of all the masters. He is the... Uh, I won't say he's the president of the presidents because he's not elected. He is the king of all the presidents. 
He's the king of all the kings. He's the king of all the monarchs. He's the king of all the czars and the king of all the Führers and the king of all the uh, prime ministers, all of them. He is over every single one of them. And as we, we have noted previously in Psalm 2, be wise, be instructed, O ye kings, O ye rulers, kiss the son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way. That is what they ought to do. If they were a wise ruler, that's what they would do. They would serve the king of kings and the lord of lords. Our Lord God is not separate from this world. There is not, he is not just Lord of the church. He is Lord of the church. But he is not just that. He has been given all authority, not all spiritual authority in heaven and on earth, all authority in heaven and on earth. He has all of it. There is none besides what he has. Now, we're given a commission. The church has specific things that it is to do. But that only comes after being told that he has all authority. And then he gives us our commission, the church's commission. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And he abases them. When he's, when he's finished using them for his purposes, they're done. There are many, many tribes, many nations that are in the scriptures that, we, that are not a, in existence today. I've never met a Jebusite. Never, never heard of, never, don't, don't know of the nation of Canaan. Never met a, a, a Hivite or a, a, any of the other tribes. They don't exist because the Lord God was done with them. They no longer served his purposes. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now that, that is a statement that really one causes us to think about what it is that the Lord Jesus went through for us. Without blood, there is no remission of sin, we're told. The Lord Jesus had to die. His blood had to be shed. And it is by his blood that he washed us from our sin. I know, uh, and I, uh, you may have heard it, I listened to, a, listened to a message on the way down here that discussed justification by faith. That we are justified by our believing God. Maybe in a temporal sense, in a, in a, in a, in a right now sense, but our faith ultimately does not make us, give us a legal standing before God. Otherwise, that statement, he washed us from our sins in his blood, he didn't need to die. If all we had to do was believe God, there was no reason for Christ to die. 1 Corinthians is 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 14. And if Christ be not risen, meaning, well, why, was, why was Christ risen? Let's, uh, the epistle to the Romans, chapter 4. Let's, let's take a look at that. The, the last statement, the last verse in chapter 4, verse 25. Who, speaking of Christ, was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Now, he was not 
the, his raising did not actually justify us. Remember, we just read he washed us. He 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 washed us from our sins in his blood. It's his death that justified us. But his ra- being raised from the dead showed us that his father accepted that sacrifice. That everything he said was true. That he is the son of God. That he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That he is the one who the father sent. That he is the one who is, who is Lord and Caesar is not. That everything he taught, everything he ever said, everything he ever did was true. Because the father raised him from the dead. The raising, the raising again showed us that that sacrifice was accepted. When he said it is finished, there wasn't anything left. He meant it. He meant those words. He is not a potential savior, but a powerful savior. He accomplished his mission. He saved everyone whom he was given. Washed them from their sins in his blood. The raising showed us that that, 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 uh, that, that occurred. 1 Corinthians 15 discusses, discusses that. Verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. There's no reason to believe. There's, there's no reason. It's not, it's not going to do anything to believe God. Just believing what God said does not bring us into a, into a right standing before him. Does not justify. Because if Christ isn't risen, it, does, it doesn't do anything legally. We may, we may walk in this life less sinful, but all we have to do is transgress once. And we're, and we're sinful in the eyes of a thrice holy God. That's what Christ's death did on our behalf. Our faith does not accomplish that. Believing God's word brings us into an understanding of the truth. That is where our faith comes in. It gives us, it gives us an understanding. It gives us comfort. But it does not bring about legal justification before God. Verse 17, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. If Christ, isn't, if, if Christ did not accomplish what he said he accomplished... And God didn't raise him from the dead to show that he accomplished it. We're in our sin. No matter how much we believe God. It's, it's, a, it's a vain endeavor as far as justification is concerned. Christ washed us from our sins in his own blood. What a wonderful gift that that is. And our, and our, our faith, our believing what God has revealed, because we only find that out. From the scriptures. God gives it to us in his word. And our, our believing that causes us to grab hold and, and, and trust in it. It isn't, it isn't that trust. It isn't that believing God that justifies us. It's what Christ did. But our believing it causes it to be real to us. Causes us to understand and, and, and trust in it and, and praise God for what he has done. He didn't just do that though. It would have been good enough for it to stop there. But he has done even more than just that. We read in Romans 8 that we're made joint heirs of God because of Christ. That we are declared, and this includes the women, sons of God. 
because of Christ, because of what he has done. But look at verse 6, and hath made us kings and priests. Yes, that, all, that includes the women. You are a kingly priest. You are a royal priesthood, all of us. We are all priests. It's not just the preacher. It's not just a special group of people as the Church of Rome would like for you to, like for you to think. We're all priests. If they say you need to go to a priest to confess your sin, wonderful, I am one. You're one. You confess them before God. We are kings and priests because of the Lord Jesus, because of what he did. His death sanctified us. His death set us apart. Hebrews chapter 13 a wonderful, as, as I was looking through all of this this morning. Wherefore Jesus also, Hebrews 13 and verse 12. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people, set them apart. With his own blood, suffered without the gate. Suffered outside the gate, he's making a comparison to the beasts that were burned. Uh, verse 11, for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin. You remember uh, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. The, the uh, uh, blood of bulls and goats was brought in to make a sacrifice for, for first the high priest, who's a sinful man just like, just like we are, the, the Jewish high priest. Sinful man just like us. He had to make an offering for himself first, then go back, get another one, bring it in for the sins of the people. They, drank, they, they would uh, 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 flick the blood in, in the sanctuary. Then they would take the beast out, outside the gate, and burn it. Sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, he was not burned outside the camp, that he might sanctify, set the people apart, with his own blood suffered outside the gate. That's why Jesus was taken outside the city. It was, to, it was to point to, hey, that's all pointing to Jesus. All those sacrifices, all those sacrifices that were offered year by year, day by day, continually, millions upon millions of animals, slaughtered. All pointed to Christ. That was the that was the, that was much of the point of them. Also, a remembrance of sin. All pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the sacrifice that takes away takes away our sin by His blood. He did that. He did that very thing. He set us apart by His own blood, and He has made us kings and priests. Now, some. Uh, dispensationalists, hyper-dispensationalists, uh, those that divide the Word of God up to, okay, this is the only part that applies to us today. It's all applicable. It's all applicable. They like to take Peter's epistles because he's writing to Jews uh, where he says, you are a royal priesthood. They like to take that and say, that's not talking to us Gentiles. But there's neither Jew nor Gentile in Christ Jesus. So, so what Peter wrote to Jewish Christians is true to us. And here, it's clear, because Revelation isn't written to just Jews. 
Revelation is written to Jews and Gentile, Christians alike. We are kings and priests because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has made us that unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. A, a wonderful uh, blessing, a wonderful gift that he has given us. Behold, he cometh with clouds. And we, uh, am I reading that time right? Okay, we got five, five minutes. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Uh, we, we look forward to that day. Come to Matthew chapter 24, where we see the Lord Jesus describe this for us. Chapter 24 and, and verse, verse 30. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. We look forward to that day, do we not? We'll, we'll, discuss, we'll discuss some of that today. Uh, I believe I'm here for, for two messages, which will, which will work out perfectly, because that's exactly what we're, what we're going to discuss. The Lord Jesus, uh, what, what the Lord has done in delivering his people, and the time that is yet future in which he will deliver his people, will, in which he will deliver his people from the judgment of this world. We look forward to that day. He's going to come. Every eye shall see him. They, sh they also which pierced him. Now, Zechariah, chapter 12. Got just a, f a few minutes. We'll, we'll probably come back and, uh, should you have me back, we'll probably come back and, and, and examine this a little further. But Zechariah, chapter 12, and verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. That is the day in which a nation shall be born in a day. That is the day in which all Israel shall be saved, as, as Paul in Romans 11 discusses. You remember Romans chapter 9, where my prayer and my, my uh, heart's desire is that uh, my kindred, according to the flesh, Paul is making it abundantly clear that he is talking about fleshly, you know, f uh, uh, flesh and blood Israelites. He's not talking about some uh, um, spiritual Israel, anything like that. I know that that's taught today. I don't find that in the scriptures. Israel is Israel is Israel every time. Even the Israel of God is the true Israel within Israel. The, say, the, the, the ones for whom Christ died is the true, uh, within Israel is the true Israel. We are Gentiles that Christ has also saved by his blood. Two, two different groups of people all saved by the blood of Christ. We're Christians. For there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Why, why would we want to become Jews when they're in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. I don't, I don't understand. But regardless, this is the day in which Israel, all Israel will be saved. 
Romans 11 dis- discusses that very day. And this is what the Lord is going to do. The spirit of grace and supplication. He's going to cause them all to be born again in a day. They shall look upon him, me. The Lord is speaking. Lord all caps. Jehovah. They shall look upon me whom they pierced. They pierced the Lord. We, we, know who, who, we know who they pierced. The Lord Jesus Christ. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadad, uh, Remon in the valley of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and the wives apart, and the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart. All, all, the, way, all the way down they shall mourn for him whom they pierced. Whom they pierced. That, is what's, that is the day that is being discussed in verse 7. The Lord Jesus applies that to himself. They, they also will, which pierced him, and all kindred of the, kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Because he comes in power and great glory. Those that are not his will wail because they are, because they are not. We want to do things our way. We don't want you to get away from us. Judgment, as we'll, as we'll note, is not for repentance. It is only the goodness of God that leadeth men to repentance, Romans 2.4. Judgment. Judgment, if you read through the book of the Revelation, judgment hardens men. Pharaoh, we'll look at that, hardened his heart in the midst of judgment. He didn't want to do things God's way. God raised him up for that purpose. God gave the kingdom to him for that purpose. A wicked, evil man God used for his purposes. We're out of time this morning. Thank you. For your time and attention, we'll pick, we'll pick up there, verse 7, Next, uh, should you have me back.